Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 363, recorded April 3rd, 2022. And today we are playing a little bit of catch-up. We're going back to 2008 and covering Alien Spotlight Borg, issue one, and also the first two books of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Last Generation, Mm. books one and two. Right. And the idea that we would miss the Borg in the Alien Spotlight seems like quite a miss. They're a pretty important alien species. (laughs) Right, and we're all over the mirror universe, and these are the myriad universe, so Mm -hmm. yeah, how, how we missed them, I don't know. I don't know. But we did. And then the last generation, as it turns out, is quite unexpectedly different. What, so what they, what they call it, the Myriad Universe? Myriad Universe, Myriad. Yeah. So this is very definitely out of um, TNG continuity. And very I would much, dare say much. the first one is also very out of any continuity. The Alien Spotlight? Um, well... Not, I have a I have a tough time reconciling that it fits anywhere. Well, okay, so it's obviously post uh, final or uh, first contact. Yeah. So that's obvious, but um, really, because okay, you're just saying it seems out of con- continuity, but you're not trying to say it's worse than last generation being out of continuity. You're obviously uh, not saying no, that. no, 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 okay. no. Last generation is obviously. Its own thing. Yes, very much its own thing. Whereas the Borg one just seems to be slightly off the normal. Yeah. Well, yes. But, uh, but uh, I mean, that's what happens when you have time travel shenanigans. <laughs> time travel shenanigans. And, and basically with the, uh, with the Borg one, they're basically stating a thesis. And they're sticking with that thesis. Um, about the Borg. They're, state, they're stating something about the Borg which, which is what makes the ending happen. Right. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with the thesis, but it's very... It's an interesting thesis. Um, so, there you go. All right, well, you want to just jump straight into it then? Let's do it. All right. Well, Alien Spotlight Volume 1 Borg... Came out January of 2008, written by Andrew Stephen Harris, art by Sean Murphy, colors by Leonard O'Grady, letters by Chris Mowry, edits by Chris Rial, and then there are three covers. Uh, the first one has the word Borg to the left um, in a weird font. I, I don't recognize it. And then it shows a picture of a... Like, first contact type Borg getting uh, phasered, but uh, he has a little personal shield that's keeping him from getting hit. And that is by Zach Howard, 
and with colors by Leonard O'Grady. Then cover B shows a Borg sphere, a couple of Borg cubes, uh, kind of at the bottom. And then at the top, we see just a whole army of uh, Borg drones. And that is by Sean Murphy, colors by Leonard O'Grady. And then the third cover is a photo cover of the Borg Queen from First Contact. And then the cover, the fourth cover, the R.I.B. cover, is just a sketch cover of the first one. So again, shows the the board getting shot, but personal personal shields protecting him. So this story takes place, as best I can tell, after season seven of Voyager, and just before the events of Star Trek Nemesis. So in that little sweet spot there, uh, that we don't really have a lot of media in, but uh, this has to fit within that time frame at some point. So uh, the story starts off, though, in the past, and it shows a female Borg coming across a young blonde girl playing with a ball. When the child looks up and sees the odd-looking woman, she just simply asks, will you play with me? The Borg looks down and says no, and then throws some Borg tubes into the girl's neck. Then we flash forward to what the comic calls quote-unquote now, and then, throughout the Federation, ships are being destroyed by some unknown means. So we get visual representations of the USS Maverick being destroyed. We hear about the science vessel Pollux being destroyed. And we also see the USS Courageous being victim to this unknown explosions. So then we flash to the Enterprise, and we think that it's about to get the same treatment... But instead, Jordy beams over from an away mission in his EV suit. But as soon as he comes on board, basically, board tech is practically exploding out of his skin and just shredding the EV suit. They get him into sickbay. There, Crusher looks him over, and she concludes that his implants are growing throughout his body due to an infusion of board nanoprobes. And we're just supposed to go with it because... I don't know how he got these things, but he did. And now he's somehow connected to the Borg, but since his body was already used to being adapted with artificial parts, he's somehow able to also retain his humanity as well. So Picard orders them not to remove it just yet, because this may be a way to communicate with the Borg. So Jordy tries to access the Borg hive mind, but it's too much for him. So he shoots one of the board tubes out of himself and into Data's eyeball. There, they're able to establish a link, and Data can now access the hive mind. Later, at Earth, at Starfleet HQ, Admiral Janeway explains to a group of top brass, including Captain Picard, that the strange happenings throughout the quadrant is due to temporal aftershocks caused by the Borg in the future. These aftershocks are moving backwards through time, and the expectation is that once it goes back far enough, it will wipe out all life, and basically the whole universe will be Borg. Janeway outlines a plan that they have to detonate a neutron star with a transwarp core, and this should create a counter-antimatter wave that will travel forward through time and then somehow nullify the Borg's temporal wave going back through time 
Later that night, Picard has dreams or maybe it's visions, unsure. Uh, but it shows him playing chess with Guinan, and then it also shows him being a Borg. So I, I think that it's uh, visions or, or a dream. But maybe it was real. I don't know. Regardless, he seems to wake up, and then he contacts Janeway, and he outlines a plan of his own. So he wants to travel through the future to the point where the Borg is creating the disturbance that, of the temporal time wave. And he wants to stop it there. Janeway thinks that this is too risky, but Picard points out that it's no more risky than destroying a neutron star. And it seems that she relents, although it doesn't actually say it. She does. We just flash forward a little bit, and Jordy is now at the navigation station, and he's supporting his old visor, saying that the implants that he had uh, are no longer viable for now, and that uh, they were able to get all the board tech out of him. So Picard orders that they head out towards some unknown destination at warp speed, uh, telling Data that they'll know where they need to go when they get there. Again, I, I was not following what exactly the, the techno babble was here. So somehow this plan works, and they arrive at some time, and they see a giant Borg hypercube. Uh, they are then boarded by several Borg, including Borg versions of species 8472. And as you know, in our current timeline, that is the one species that cannot be assimilated. So within a short amount of time, the whole ship of the Enterprise is being Borgified. And then Picard orders that he get beamed through the temporal interference to the surface of a nearby planet. He does so, and he finds the same female Borg from earlier in the issue uh, meeting with the little girl playing with the ball. The Borg woman, who I assume is the queen or a queen, states that this little girl will actually be the future queen that comes up with this whole temporal time attack. Picard starts to talk to her, and uh, he points out that it's not logical for the Borg to always be in existence in the past and have already controlled the whole universe, since that means that the Borg will never better themselves as they keep assimilating all these mature races. Uh, during all this, uh, the Borg does throw out some nanotubes and starts Borgifying him. But I guess his speech works because she retracts it and he reverts back to normal. As she states that the little girl's plan is flawed, so she will never convert the girl to a board and leaves. So once she's gone, the girl now looks up to Picard and asks if he will play with her. And he says, yes. The end. Yes, little girl. Who looks like she dropped out of an anime show with her little cape on. <laughs> yeah, she looks like a Star Wars character, like a like a little girl on Tatooine or something. <laughs> yeah, she she's able to uh, not be phased too much since she just saw Picard getting attacked and turned into a robot and then unattacked. And then all she says is, all right, will you play with me now? It's, yeah, I think I would have been a little mean. more freaked out. You want to play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And of course, at the beginning of the book, when we saw this whole thing play out, apparently in the past, uh, right. the ball was popped and the girl was borgified. And uh, it's just kind of weird to see the, the whole thing play out again, yet differently. Right. That's timey-wimey for you. That's, this, is, this is a very timey-wimey uh, story, yes, which I don't 100% follow. Okay. Yeah, I'll be honest. I I read this twice, tr- just trying to figure out what Picard's. How was he going back or forward in time? Oh, what exactly God. was he doing? It just, and then he just kind of throws it away. A line like, "We'll know when we get there." And I'm like, "Okay, well." <laughs> I think he's talking to me. Just go with the flow. Exactly. We'll, yeah. We'll get there. Don't worry. Exactly. Just. Just. Just ride along and don't worry about anything making sense. Right. Yeah, so that, the- that whole thesis I spoke of earlier, which you just explained in the synopsis, is basically if you were, log- if you were perfect from the beginning, what would the Borg do? I mean, what- I mean, they were assimilating everybody to take on technologies and biological diversity and whatever to become perfect. So if you were perfect in the past, from the beginning... Well, what would you do? Play checkers? So apparently that is enough to convince her to, you know, call off the retroactive changing of all Borg. uh, To be perfect and control everything. Right. Uh, And, and and so let's say she did all that, but, uh, okay, so why, why didn't, why didn't she take Picard and, and, and the Enterprise? Because Picard was going to gain more capabilities that they'd want to take later? Was that the justification? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. And, and the little girl. Okay, so you don't want to listen to her in the future when she has this great idea of becoming perfect in the past. But you're still not going to assimilate her? It's like, okay. Uh, okay. Well, I know the main reason why that happened. Why? They were running out of pages. <laughs> <laughs> it's a one-shot. We have 20-something pages. Right. We got to finish it. Exactly. So, it was interesting. I mean, it was interesting. I mean, sure. at the beginning, the I think the artwork is quite good. I mean, especially of ships blowing up. I especially like that third one, the Courageous. How it right. blow and how it blows up. I think it look that's drawn very well. Um, bits are flying everywhere. It looks yeah. pretty good. Yeah. That whole like top section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's like the blast goes through the saucer section or it came from the saucer section. What, what was that supposed to be? Yeah. I, I don't even anyway. know. Why are all these ships even exploding? I, I and why wasn't the enterprise affected? I, I, um, I, I don't know. It was, I think they were saying something about there was something going wrong in internally like I, I thought it was like in the in the warp core or whatever something was happening but this the picture makes it look like like a beam is hitting the saucer section and blowing it to bits right so i don't know it's yeah, I don't know. A, a lot of multiple things in this story is like don't worry about it <laughs> just just revel in the destruction right pretty good artwork huh yeah yeah don't think about it <laughs> yeah, like when Jordy comes out of the beam. Oh my! And he's like becoming a Borg, and it's just like the most weird Borg I've ever seen. It's like 
I don't know. It's like weird bands all over his body instead of the normal Borg armor. Uh, yeah, right. It's it just all busting out of his EV suit, like you said. Right. Yeah, like so... He's hulking out. He's hulking out. Uh, yeah, so basically the tentacle kind of things are popping out all over the place. I, it looks great. I mean, it's like, oh my God, Jordy. I mean, all this stuff is sprouting out of his body and then cutting up the ED suit and the helmet and everything. And it looks really cool, but, you know, how do you come back from that? Right. Um, and so what, So there were other, there's at least one more guy on the away mission that's behind Jordy, and he's got the same thing happening to him. Oh, so nobody cares about that guy. Well, of course, he's not a main character. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess all those other guys that was on the away mission just died. Right. Um, is the only one... Okay, so... Oh yeah, so Jordy is the only one to survive. And, and of course, the reason because... is really lame. Yes. Cyber... Okay. His existing cybernetic implants for his eyes is why... Magnets. Okay, whatever. Magnets. <laughs> <laughs> That's... A... a lot of times in... In stories, when something amazing happens, uh, they just say magnets. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was like, uh, what, Lost? There were parts in Lost where things were going on, and they actually, they actually used magnetism to help explain what was going on. Anyway, so now it's a meme. Uh, Sorry. I employed a meme here you haven't heard, apparently. Well, well my thing is, is that if the... Him being reliant on a artificial body part mm-hmm. was able to keep him from becoming a Borg. Mm-hmm. Then how did Lucutus become a Borg? He has an artificial heart. Mm-hmm. Good point. Or maybe that's how he was that's able to retain a little bit of his humanity because of his mm-hmm. artificial heart. I never said that. I know. Are they trying to retroactively say that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Or, I don't know. Good point, though. That's a very good point about the artificial heart. Yeah. I don't know. Or you're just supposed to go with it. Yeah. So how do you like the uh, facial... Um, like, I think the ships all look great. The mm-hmm. technology all looks really good. But what do you think about the style of drawing people? Uh, for the most part, I like it. I mean, there's a few times where I don't think they look quite right. Yeah. But they look close enough that, that I'm enjoying it. Uh, I do think the color's a little muted. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that. maybe it needs to be a little little brighter. Yeah. Uh, especially in the scenes in like the sick bay and stuff where it's supposed to be bright, but right. here in the comic it's kind of dark. Uh, but for the most part, I like it. I mean, uh, I don't want to say they're like characters, but they do sometimes have over exaggerated like facial features. Yeah. Especially Picard. Yeah, he, 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 they draw him with a, a big giant nose. I thought. <laughs> well, he's got a good size. At times, but... he looks really like Patrick Stewart, and then yes. other times, he really doesn't. Right. It's like in that last panel where he says "yes." Um, he look. It's like his mouth is weird. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, hers is too. Well, like you said, it does have a little bit of anime type look yeah. to it. That last. That last shot. And in the beginning, when uh, when Jordy's busting out of his EV suit and stuff, and uh, the tiny little eyes, round eyes, and surprise that Riker 
and somebody else has, but mainly Riker. It, now that screams to me anime. Well, yeah, they even have the little surprise lines above their heads. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one that I was never quite uh, happy with, as far as the drawings go, or, mm-hmm. or maybe "happy" is the wrong word. I didn't think they drew her very well. Was um, Beverly? Hmm. And then that last shot, or that that last conversation Picard has with Janeway mm-hmm. when they're in their pajamas, <laughs> is that Janeway or is that supposed to be Crusher? Because when I read it the first time, I thought it was Crusher. When I read it the second time, what she's saying sounds more like what Janeway's saying. So then I was unsure. I was like, did he beam over to have a conversation with Janeway in her pajamas, or is this is this Beverly that he's like well bouncing his eye off it I looks like that. beverly i mean she's is that red is that red hair i mean like you say that the colors are all very muted so it's hard to tell but that right. looks more red than it does brown which is beverly but again that's that's who i thought when i read it the first time and yeah. when i was reading it the second time it kind of felt like this is his conversation with admiral janeway because the previous issue ends, or the previous page, ends with him say, yeah. "Get me Admiral Janeway," and then the next page is them talking. I, I I think I thought it was Janeway when I originally oh, you read always it. thought it was Janeway. I always thought it was Janeway, but looking okay. at the hair, uh, the color of it makes me think um, Crusher. But and she calls um, him Picard and not Jean Luc, so right. that's what makes me again think that. The speech balloons seem to go to Janeway, but the picture yeah. looks more like Crusher. I agree. I agree. And I can't tell if it's just because the style just kind of doesn't lend well to knowing exactly who people are. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's at least one panel <clears throat> that shows a close-up of that lady's face, and I think that's a little bit more like how they drew uh, Janeway. Janeway, right. But the hair definitely looks more like Beverly. Yep. yep. So, anyways, I'm going to go with that. It's it's uh, Janeway in pajamas. I agree. But I guess her hair gets longer at night. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but well, Beverly hair is not is not that long either. Uh, oh, is it not? I mean, oh, it's no, down it's to her short. shoulders, but yeah. really not that long. But Janeway seems shorter. It, it and... seems shorter when she was doing the briefing. Yeah. yeah, and Brown. and, and um, Crusher is drawn very skinny, uh, which you know she, she's not a fat woman, not at all. But this is really like 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 twenty year old woman type body, you know, really skinny and. Uh, well, the same thing with with Data. He's very very uh, svelte in this one, which. Well, another thing is some of the some of the panels, the drawing of of data. I'm looking at one right now where they're holding down uh, Jordy, right? And looking at jo- or data face on, it looks like Zuckerberg. <laughs> to me, to me, no, it looks I like Zuckerberg. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very almost emaciated, long face, which doesn't quite look like Brett Spiner no. to me. Yeah, me neither. Again, I I hate. Bad mouthing artwork because oh no, they're far it, it better still than we could looks ever do. Good. Yeah. It's just to me that I yeah. 
I don't think it quite looks like the character, the sure. actor. Sure. But you know, it's a high quality product. You know, good good drawing, all that. Um, they made artistic choices that might seem a little odd here and there, like the incredible muting. But that's that's the artistic style they chose to right. go with. So, fine. And I'm okay with the style. The, yeah. the only time, you know, same with even the old like gold keys and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that style, even though it doesn't match the the actors. It's only mm-hmm. when you can't tell who they are. Yeah, is when I get a little out of it, like the Jane Way uh, Crusher mix right. up there on that one right. page. Agreed. But, uh, but yeah, I mean. Again, I don't even know how this resolves. So at the end of this, once once the story's over, what happens? It goes back to normal, and they're able to go back to their normal timeline, and those those ships at the beginning are not destroyed. What 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 happens? Good question. Is and Enterprise isn't borgified anymore? Because I mean, it shows it's oh, it's, it's like badly borgified, and a, and a lot of crew got carved up. Right. So. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Press the magic reset button. Yeah, this one is a, a, a definite reset button push. Yeah. But at least they didn't show him go back to the Enterprise and everything's fine. So right. They just, they, just, they just leave it dangling. Just going to play a little ball with the girl. Mm-hmm. Game over. <laughs> Story over. Right. So what do you think of the board queen? Or was this a board queen? She looks kind of vulcan but uh, do you think she's a queen or is she just a normal Borg? Well, I was thinking she was a queen, but you don't, they don't call her a queen. Right. Uh, and she is one amongst a team of Borg that are on the planet. Right. But for whatever reason, she's like off on her own. Right. Um, but so. definitely when I read it the first time, I, I assumed she was a queen. Or the queen. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's because she doesn't have any facial prosthetic or anything, which all the other Borgs do. Well, she does, but it's queens. minor. She doesn't have, right. have any tubes going into her head. And she doesn't have, like, an eyeball missing and all that stuff, right. which most Borgs yep. do. Right. She's got a little so, bit of stuff on her chin or, like, on, her, on the line of her jaw on the right. 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 A little bit on, near her chin on the left. But other than that, she looks clean. And I, I completely agree with you. that Those are pointed ears. So that you, so you're saying it's an assimilated Vulcan, or Romulan? They kind of look like Romulan. Okay, could be, could be. Yeah, and, and I don't think it is a queen, but that was definitely who I thought it was when I read it the first time. Right, I thought the same thing. But this character is the one that decided. You know, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yeah. You would think that that kind of decision would be a queen. But it's hive mind, so I guess... Well, okay, yeah, so she could have been taking this information, feeding it into the collective, and then the collective makes that decision. Right. But you're not given any indication of that, but this is a Borg, so what one knows, they all know, right? Right. Yeah, but that is kind of funny, because they go through all this trouble, all these plans, uh, create this way of retroactively a wave that magically goes back and rewrites history. And then they just say, oh, no, Picard, you got a good point. We really haven't thought this through, have we? Hmm. Okay. (laughs) See you later. Yeah, it's more of a Kirk thing. 
<laughs> exactly. To talk the enemy into quitting. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, Kirk is definitely the kind that can talk machines into destroying themselves. Yes. Right. Exactly. Infinite loops. Calculate pi. There you go. What? Calculate pi again? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you always get us with that, Kirk. <laughs> So, uh, a hypercube. Uh, I don't remember ever seeing a hypercube before. I do not recall that either. But it's called a hypercube because it's not just a simple six-sided cube. It, it has, like, additional dimensions, supposedly, with the way... Because it's a cube in the middle, but then there are parts that come out on the four sides... I thought it was the other way around. It looked like it was oh. a dice, like a cube, like a dice or something, but the it's indented. I thought well, it was indented. It, it, Are you either, way, either way you want to put it. I yeah. mean, either way it, it works. Right. Uh, I think. So, right. So there's a cube, but then there's these additional parts coming outward. I see. Uh, so see. either way you want to look at it. Maybe your way is, is an easier way to describe it. And I've, I think I've seen things like that that are supposed to be used to try to get across visually um, something that is like 11 dimensions or something multidimensional. Oh, really? Uh, in like, uh, like YouTube videos of like science-y kind of stuff. Hmm. Anyway, whatever. No, I've never seen a hypercube before either. Yeah, I didn't know if uh, it was in that last season of Voyager and I just couldn't remember it. I don't remember that. But uh, it's big. It's big. Yeah, when I was first reading this book, um, I wasn't sure exactly what time period it was. And then there was a a panel near the front, um, which is the first first page on which we see the Enterprise. And then there's a a shot that shows um, Data and Picard. Mm -hmm. And data. Can I guess what you're going to say? Cause... Oh, what? <laughs> I said, can I guess what you're going to say? Because yes, it really go threw ahead. me off too. Go ahead. The uh, the number one. Comment? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right, so data is saying something to Picard, and then the first thing Picard says, and the only people you see are data and Picard. It says, "No, number one, get them off that asteroid." And it's like, oh, data's number one. So this is after Picard left. I mean, after. Uh, Riker left, and now Data's number one? It confused me. and then oh, It confused me, too. Yeah. And then, then you see that Riker is there. So it's like, oh, so Picard was talking to Riker, who was off camera. He's right. just not in the panel. Yeah, he's, at the, he's in the transporting room. Yeah. I'll be so, honest. I didn't recognize that was Riker. So I went a few pages wondering... How on earth could Data be number one mm-hmm. if uh, if he's dead? <laughs> if yeah. this took place after Nemesis, <laughs> uh, Data should be dead. And I was really confused until Riker showed back up. And then right. I'm like, oh. So it's before Nemesis. Okay. Right. And then I had to go back and reread that beginning part. And I'm like, right. oh, okay. So, yeah. So Riker doesn't show back up until, like, page, um, you know, 13 or so. Like, mm-hmm. way later in the book. Right. So I went about half the book thinking that uh, this was in some La La Land uh, chronological time frame. 
right. because uh, it did not make sense to me as yeah. to how Data was number one and alive. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I'm glad it got you too. It got me. <laughs> they got me. <laughs> uh, that's all I have to say. That was your last comment? That's my last comment. Yep. Mine too. Um, okay. It was it was interesting, but uh Yeah. It was it was a nice little one shot. Yeah. I mean there are things that might have been a little less than perfect about it, but overall I, I thought it was good. I liked it. Right. Alright, so we move uh, later in 2008 and hit the mm-hmm. series that we missed. Let's do it. So, five issues, and this is the first one. Last Generation. This one, uh, this one actually has a title, which is called Do Not Close Your Eyes. So, this one has a, a, a title, and its writer is Andrew Stephen Harris. Artist is Gordon Purcell. Gordon Purcell, one of my favorite artists, because I, I met him once. Inks, and that is really good. Inks by Bob Almond. Colorist, Mario Boone. Letterer, Robbie Robbins. Uh, and Andy Schmidt is the editor. Cover A presents Sulu, Data, and Picard in the upper half of the cover, and Worf and two other Kling- Klingons on the, uh, the bottom. In the middle is the Excelsior, being chased and fired upon by three Klingon V7s over a beautiful blue and white planet. Hmm. Cover is by Pablo Ramondi and Brian Reber? Reber? I thought it was Robert at first, but it's it's R-E-B-E-R. Robert? Reber? Hmm. Cover B features a photo of Data in his season one uh, collarless uniform. The Retailer Incentive cover I really like. Um, So this is a drawing of Picard and Wesley with a spotlight on them and a huge wanted poster on the wall behind them. And the poster is showing many Star Trek heroes are uh, captured or slain, which is pretty cool. And of course, this is very familiar. I'm sure to most people that would see this cover, they go, "Oh, oh, wait a minute, I know I've seen that someplace before. So I assume they were just doing an homage to the famous Uncanny X-Men issue 141's cover. Um, that was apparently part of the Days of Future Past storyline. Um, and, so, and so that was, uh, the X-Men cover original one was done by John Byrne, which is kind of cool. Uh, but J.K. Woodward did this one apparently. So a nice little homage. The year is 2293. The place is the Kittimer Conference. But this time, instead of Captain Kirk and Mr. Scott being able to stop the assassination of the Federation president, the worst happens. Hikaru Sulu is also there and bears witness to the violent end of peace when the president is dead and a war with the Federation begins. Earth, 70 years later. Wesley Crusher and Tasha Yar are running and gunning as they attempt to stay ahead of their Klingon pursuers. The Klingons catch up and are ready to make the death blow via Batleth, but just in the nick of time, the Klingons are cut down by high-precision phaser beams. Picard, Dr. Crusher, Roe Lairn, and Miles O'Brien emerge from a dark sewer tunnel with their weapons still hot. Tasha hands over a secret communique to Picard and tells him it had better be worth it. 
Picard begins to scan it and says it may be the most important piece of information since the Klingons conquered Earth. Suddenly, Picard tells them that they all need to exit their current location immediately and get back to the refuge. He had received info from a very informed person that likes bald men. Meanwhile, on a shuttlecraft, on a heading for Earth, Riker and LaForge come under attack from a bird of prey. The hunter becomes the hunted when the Excelsior decloaks behind it and blows the Klingon ship to bits. Geordi asks if that was the Silver Ghost, but it disappears so fast Riker cannot confirm one way or the other. In the back of the shuttle, a silent passenger speaks. It's an android named Data who introduces himself to Riker and Geordi. Picard tucks his nephew Rene in for the night with a story about the Silver Ghost, who Picard assures the lad is real and not just a legend. The lad's handless arm slips out from under the covers as Picard rises, which sets off a flashback to when he was maimed and his father was killed by the stinking dirty Klingons. A silhouette emerges from the dark and interrupts Picard's cruel revelry. It's Guinan who is wearing what looks like a sleeping mask over her eyes. She is the clairvoyant one that warned Picard to leave earlier in the day, and the one that keeps telling him there is something wrong with their timeline. They kiss passionately. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lord Worf is told by two of his minions a bird of prey has been destroyed and, and they never saw their attackers. Worf says he must know if it's the Silver Ghost, but his soldiers cannot say for sure. Angry and frustrated, Lord Worf leaves them and enters another room where the one-eyed Klingon leader opens a locked trunk where he sees a foil sword still with blood on its blade. He says to the Silver Ghost that he is keeping an eye out for him. Ha <laughs> ha, get it? Worf is a comic without knowing it. Cut to the bridge of the USS Excelsior, where a silver-haired Captain Sulu is told by his number one, Rachel, I assume Garrett, the cloak is engaged and working at optimal levels. Captain Sulu is indeed the Silver Ghost. Or is it his cloaking device, uh, uh, cloaking device equipped ship? Tuvok, the Vulcan ambassador on board, warns Sulu to go no further into Sector 000, where Klingon patrols are the heaviest. They have escaped destruction up to now by staying on the outskirts of the Empire. Sulu says he agrees there are risks, but they both know in this case the potential prize is worth the risk they are taking. Tuvok and Sulu were both there at Kittimer when peace died so long ago. A flashback is triggered that shows that fateful day when Kirk's attempts to save the Federation president failed. And this time we see a new player is present in the room close to Kirk. A man with the ability to travel through time. Captain Braxton of the USS Relativity. To be continued. So it's not Doctor Who. It's not Doctor Traveling Who. Traveling through time. It's not Doctor Who. Or Sam Beckett. 
or Sam Beckett. True. <laughs> uh, or apparently Gary Seven, who we found out can travel through time. That's true. That's true. There are many people we could take off. But in this case, it is Captain Braxton, who we met in the season five, episode 24 of uh, the Voyager series. Right. So if he started a whole new timeline by preventing this assassination, does that mean that this Braxton is also from a different timeline? Because the Braxton and Voyager, I can't see going back in time and doing this. No. He, he seemed to be a good Starfleet captain or a temporal right. captain. Yeah. But yeah. we don't know exactly what dimension he's from, and we don't know what his motivations are yet. I mean, is right. this somehow, I mean, but you think about this, it's like sometimes like Starfleet people will do things to, to save humanity, but I can't see, I can't see how it benefits humanity to be completely conquered by the Klingons. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't see any scenario that the current timeline and the situation that at least Earth is conquered, uh, I just... I just don't see how that's a benefit in any way to anybody who's a part of the Federation who is sworn to protect the Federation. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so this gray ghost, Sulu, um, yes. is he just a myth or do does he interact with the, the other humans on Earth? It kind of seems like he's supposed to be this like mythological savior that's out there in the stars helping us. Right. And that we don't ever actually communicate with him, but... But Picard knows that it's real. Does he? Or is he also well, he... like, I hope it's kind of real, too? Oh. Well, he see. I don't know. I, I got the impression from the, uh, <laughs> from the speech bubble <laughs> that, that Picard... I mean, does, doesn't he actually say something like, I assure you, he's real? He says, oh, he's definitely real. Oh, okay. Now is he okay? So I get you. So is he just saying that to uh, to bolster Renee's um, good feelings, but he doesn't really know, or does he really know? Yeah, because well, that's he's, what I was wondering. Exactly. Has he been in communication with the Grey Ghost at some point, uh, or is Guinan telling him this stuff? She seems to be, you know, all knowing. Right. We don't know at this point. Yeah. We don't know. We just don't. So, okay, so, so this whole thing is part of the Myriad universe? Right. Yeah, Myriad universe. Okay, so it says that on the, on, uh, on the issue. But what is the Myriad universe, Donovan? So it was a publishing gimmick in, in the uh, mid-knots where uh, both, uh, both pocketbooks, or I guess Simon and Schuster, I can't remember what they were calling themselves at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, IDW uh, came out with a whole bunch of stories that didn't quite fit the normal timeline or the mirror universe. It was its own thing. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't last very long. It was very short lived, but, mm -hmm. uh, but there was a couple of novels. There was this mini series. And then I think that's about it. So it's basically a what if kind of thing. Right. And I think they were planning on it doing it longer, but I don't know if it went over very well. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I, I remember when it came out, they came out with a, uh, they were doing like those Captain Tales type books or more like they were like anthology books where they mm -hmm. had a whole bunch of little short stories. So I know they came out with a a Myriad Universe anthology book 
um, and this, and like I said, and then it was just over. So I don't know if it was just that was all they were planning on doing, or if they were planning on doing more. I don't know. So we did the other ones then. There was no other comic books in the Marvel okay. universe. So this was the said... only comic book. Okay, so, so you're saying novels. it was a book book, a novel. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Okay, gotcha. By pocket books or okay. Simon and Schuster, whatever they were calling themselves at the time. Right. Okay. But but anyways, um, so basically it was we're gonna tell you a Star Trek story that doesn't quite fit the the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means that you know even though this is a time travel thing and it feels like oh this is just an alternate timeline and they're gonna fix it at the end. Because it's the mirrored universe, that's not always going to be the case. Mm-hmm. They might fix it at the end, but then it'll still be a different universe than what we're used to. I don't know. We'll have to see. I haven't read this one. I just don't know. But uh, but the reason why I was saying that about Sulu is that the big the big why is our life crappy kind of thing is is the event that had Kirk not save the president. Yes. Which it seems that only the crew of the Excelsior knows. So Picard doesn't seem to know that or anybody else on earth, which makes me feel like Sulu doesn't talk to people. What does Sulu know? Well, he knows that, um, well, I guess he doesn't, well, he knows that Kirk is prevented from, well, does Kirk know, does he know about Braxton? I guess maybe not. Well, okay, so at this point, we in this issue, the next issue, we'll know more. But in this issue, all we know is that Braxton was there. Right. Right. I guess he doesn't know who he is. So I, I don't know that Sulu spotted Braxton and said, hey, that guy doesn't belong there. Well, in the flashback, there was just the close-up of Braxton, and it was Sulu's remembrance, which made me think that it, oh, right. he knows who he is, but I guess not. Right. Yeah, yeah, I guess that doesn't necessarily mean. Hmm. All right, never mind. Now, now he's there at the Kittimer conference in his future Starfleet uniform. Uniform, right. so it's the same uniform that we saw him in the Voyager episode. So it's like, huh, nice uniform. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that uniform before. Future boy, future boy, exactly. You don't belong here. You, you you would think Starfleet security would be on the lookout for anything out of the ordinary. And I would right. say somebody in an obvious uniform that has never been seen before uh, would, would fall into that category. But I would agree. Maybe not. It was nice having Kirk in it, though. I did, I did like seeing mm-hmm. Shatner. Yeah, and Sula in the background. That was cool. Um, and did they have other people in the background? Yeah, you can see McCoy. And oh, there you Spock. go, McCoy. Yeah, I don't think McCoy off. was very well drawn, though. Yeah, but, but you knew who he was. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree that. And Kirk looked a bit trimmer in the book. <laughs> I thought he looked good. And, uh, of course, the dad from the 70s show as the president. Oh, <laughs> yeah, which I didn't know until you pointed that out a few weeks ago. Yeah. I just know him from Boniker as as Boniker on Robocop. <laughs> He's been a lot of things. I know, but that that's when I see that actor, that's, yeah. that's who I think of. And what, you think of Red. He he makes a very good bad guy. But he kind of channeled that kind of rough, gruff, 
kind of bad guy thing in into being a really good character on that 70s show. Right. Because he could be kind of terse as the dad in that show, which he played up for good to good humorous effect. Right. All right, so we're pointing out characters that look like their actor counterparts. Um, can I point out one that I still don't know who it is? Sure. Um, on the cover. On the cover. Who is that next to Picard shooting the phaser? Well, the old style phaser. Is well, it supposed to be Sulu? It's obviously Sulu. That's Sulu. But he's wearing a, a yellow. He's wearing a, a Taz era. Exactly. And then he's got a, like a, like a brown jacket over it. And and it even looks like he's got a tricorder on. But it doesn't look anything like him. No, it looks like him, but it makes it look, him look old. He looks older. And and no, it's not a perfect George Takei, but you can tell that's George Takei. Come on. I really can't. I thought it was uh, Gary Mitchell or somebody oh, at first. It does not look like Gary Mitchell. <laughs> and when, since when is Gary Mitchell in a command yellow, gold uh, Taz tunic? When when is Zulu in that tunic in this issue? It, well, what does anything okay, so, have to do with anything? So the guy, so the person that did the cover, is just trying to get across to you that that is Sulu, and that he's older because he's got all the, all the lines in his face, and that you know it's Sulu because he's got the the Taz tunic on, but then he's got the brown cover a jacket over the top, so it's not exactly the 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 Sulu you knew. I mean. I can only assume that's what he's trying to get across in the drawing, but it's like just 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 put him in a, a, a Taz movie uniform. We'd know who he was, right? Right, so that he matched I, the book. Exactly. I mean, why did you not do that? I don't. I don't get it. I don't either. It bothered me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of cool to see the Excelsior play uh, play hide and seek. So, exactly where did the Excelsior get a cloaking device? Because it yeah. never had one before, did it? No. It's been a rough few years for it. It's been able to scavenge. Well, the, uh, exactly. Device. It must have got it from somewhere. Right. Uh, after things went to poop. But, uh, but I mean, obviously they're replenishing their, their staff somehow because Rachel Garrett's on there as opposed to Janice Rand. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting choice to have uh, Garrett on there. Yeah, I liked it. I, mean, I liked because, it too. Uh, that you know, if there's no Enterprise C, then right. she wouldn't have died the way she did. And right. I kind of like the idea of her being alive still. But where's where's Rand? She was. Yeah. She was the XO on Excelsior. Yeah, but you know, timeline. Right. Different timeline. Yeah, it's been a while. Some differences. Sure. Because really, you're looking at these people and. Um, and they don't, they're not necessarily crewmates, necessarily, like Tasha. I mean, she's working with Picard, and then Miles O'Brien is there, but considering where the timeline diverged, I mean, I don't remember them saying anything about them all being on the Enterprise. Right, So yeah. oh. uh, they, they just so happened to be together, yet they were probably never shipmates, or at least not in the way we know of. Right. Yeah, the only relationship we know for sure is that Wesley is definitely Beverly's kid. Yeah. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Does, yeah. Does, does Tasha look a little different to you in any of the panels? 
Uh, I mean, she's right. still got that saucy short hair. Sassy short hair. No. I, I mean, I knew who she was. I mean, it's again, it's a, it's a different artistic take. It Not is. everybody looks looks quite right, but but you, close you know enough, you definitely are. know. Yeah, I mean, on that same page, uh, what's with Beverly like smiling and stuff when when they break through that wall? <laughs> she looks like a robot. She has a very weird face, a very weird facial expression. Yeah, uh, I, I think she's. I think she's amused with uh, Picard saying, make it so, or I make it so. Right. Like she gets the joke. Oh, I get that. That's from the other universe. (laughs) When you always used to say that on the bridge of the Enterprise, which we've never been on. Yes. So did they make it clear? so, So they were never part of Starfleet. No. Okay. So they're just... A random set, ragtag set of uh, revolutionaries or uh, freedom fighters, whatever, um, fighting against the uh, the occupation. Right. Okay. There you go. But they're all together. We got Smiley O'Brien back there, and uh, we've got Roe Laren. So, hmm. A very interesting mixture of people. Yeah. So. So what happened to Renee's hand? So his dad died, and he lost a hand during that attack? Yeah, so um, the father, Robert, Robert, who we met in family, that episode, post-Borg encounter, um, he was, I don't know what he was exactly, but he looks like he might have been even a more active member of, uh, more senior member of the occupation than Picard was, and 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 there was the point where there, where Robert is beaming the sun and Picard out of there, and then the Klingons bust in, and then there was an explosion of some kind, and the kid was messed up, and Picard wasn't, and the father was killed, uh, but apparently they beamed away. I, I'm not quite sure, but that's where the kid lost his hand. Right. Well, I, I think. I think Picard Picard looks like he's speared through the chest too, so maybe this is how he loses his heart in this universe. Oh, ooh, ooh that's interesting. Hmm. But they don't uh, they don't stay on it too long. Where, where Okay, I'm I'm just um, scanning again to see where he's speared yeah, through the chest. Yeah, when he beams over Oh, I see it. And it shows oh. the little kid all all bloody and it shows him with a big pipe through his arm. Good heart. point. That's an excellent point. Yet he's still able to say Robert. Right. <laughs> I've I've got a I've got a beam of pipe through my heart, but I'm still able to say Robert. Okay. Right. Yeah, and he says it like normal where in the panel above, you know, the dying Robert is like John Luke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. So did they get beamed into the Excelsior? Is that is that how he knows the Excelsior is real? I don't know. I mean, w- w- were they beamed into uh, a ship? Or... It looks like one. I don't know. Well, it just could be a, a pad anywhere. Right. I mean, buildings have, apparently on Earth, they've got transporters. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Right. Well, I mean. It's hard to tell. But but Robert does say he's beaming him to Jack Crusher in San Francisco. So okay. I, guess, I guess not. So it must be a building. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out if Picard knows about Sulu or not. That's. I don't know. That's my point. I don't know. But we'll, maybe we'll find out 
in the third or fourth issue. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Because uh, Sulu is now there at Earth. So we'll see. And he's got Riker and Jordy on board. So. Oh, sorry. I'm getting <laughs> ahead of myself. Okay, so this is in here. What's the deal with Guinan? Yeah, what's up with that? Okay, so she looks like she's blind. Right. She's got the sleeping mask all the time. <laughs> sleeping mask. Yeah, she's blindfolded the whole time. Yeah. And uh, she and Picard are doing some sloppy kisses. Right. And she short-haired, so I'm not used to seeing Guinan with, with short-cropped mm-hmm. hair like this. Yeah. And no big, like, hat or anything. <laughs> <laughs> True. There's no big hat. Because that might be getting in the way of the uh, the passionate love making. Right. So yeah, oh, that's a different take on on Guinan. I just noticed that Picard's fish thing is in the background. His equipment. Right, right. Yeah, I noticed that, that is funny. I just noticed that now. He, he likes that fish. He does like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I do like Purcell's artwork. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it. He's got a night. He's he's always got a good. He's very accurate with the people. Uh, faces and that kind of stuff. So he right. can do a very good job of of rendering people's uh, faces very accurately, which was really important at the end of this book where we see uh, Braxton. Because otherwise, right. if you don't recognize who Braxton is, you don't get the big reveal. Yeah. No, and he looks exactly like the actor. Right. And then my last comment is about the, uh, the J.K. Woodward cover. Okay. Um I mean, it is obviously the Days of Future Past mm-hmm. homage, mm-hmm. Um, which also had to do with an alternate past based on a different timeline. So mm-hmm. it really fits in well with this issue. Yep. And members of Starfleet, well, they're not members of Starfleet, but characters that were members of Starfleet in the right timeline are being X'd off just like the X-Men. Right. Yeah. It was really cool. And even even Picard's kind of standing like Wolverine. Exactly, but without claws. <laughs> right. Yeah, I loved it. And I thought it was interesting that Wesley's back there instead. Why is Wesley back there rather than uh, Crusher, let's say? Uh, Dr. Crusher. Because it's supposed to be a... Yeah, you're right. I don't know why. It should be Crusher. Right. Um, it's Jean Grey in the original one. Not Jean Grey. Um, the other one. Jubilee, right? G- Oh, Jubilee? Is that Isn't Jubilee? It? Okay. No, I don't know. I don't remember. Or maybe it's just uh, I thought it was a Rogue. A ro- oh, Rogue? Uh, I think that's right. I don't know who it is. Yeah, I'm looking at it, and I can't tell who, who that's supposed to be, but I wasn't really reading X-Men at the time. Yeah. I just know of the story. I didn't actually read it. Was it Rogue that was the one that was able to send people back in time? Uh, well, that was in the or somebody else. movie. Well, but didn't... Okay, so the book didn't have that same kind of thing happening? Uh, I don't remember. Again, she only takes on the powers of other people, so I don't know who... Oh, how could she? ...that she touched. Okay. If she touched somebody and took that power away from somebody, then yes, she could totally do that. Right. Okay. Anywho, I think that's a great cover. I did did enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, so I wish all, all the covers... I wish all the issues had a little homage cover like that, which I don't think the second one does. Oh, all of these issues? That yeah, would it, be cool. It would have been cool if they did, but 
I'm pretty sure these there's only two covers for the second one, and I couldn't figure yeah. out if it was an homage. Yeah, didn't seem to be right. My last thing is I just wanted to comment on the shuttle that Riker and Jordy are flying in, and that has Data in the back. Yeah, um, it was it was an interesting, different take on a shuttle. Now, mind you, you know everything didn't develop the same in this alternate future. But um, I don't think I've ever quite seen a Starfleet or a shuttle like that. So rather than the typical kind of um, elongated box, you know, with a, with a curved front or whatever, which is what a lot of shuttles end up having looking like, this shuttle almost sort of kind of has a slightly rounded look to it. Like it's almost kind of has a primary hull kind of look to it. Which I've never seen seen a shuttle like that before. So I thought it was an interesting design, and it's it's interesting to see something that different, right? Uh, yeah, it almost looks defiant, like with the with the way the nacelles and oh, are inside the body, kind true, of. True, true. Oh, yep, that's a good point. It, it does kind of look like uh, defiant nacelles. So, and then it's got whatever that is on top. Are those impulse engines? I don't know what they do. I think well, I don't that's, know what the, it is. Uh, that's, that's the speed boosters. The speed boosters. And the headlights. Maybe oh, yeah, of course. The headlights. Yeah. Oh, of course. So, And it's got the stripes on the side that make you think it looks a little a little Starfleet-y. Right. But that's more like a... Isn't that more like a Taws? Right. Lines? Which would make sense if that's the last time there was a Federation. Sure, right. So it's an old... It looks like it's an old ship. It's dirty. It looks more like, a, from, from a dirtiness standpoint, it seems more like a Star Wars thing. But uh, it was an interesting design. I just wanted to comment on that. Yeah, no, good point. And uh, that's it. All right. Okay, well then, issue two has the exact same writing and art staff. It came out December of 2008. Uh, it is entitled No Cure for That. Which I didn't put in my synopsis, but uh, it is an ongoing joke. Uh, the first cover is by J.K. Woodward. Uh, it shows uh, several Klingon ships flying above Golden Gate Bridge. With, but this time there's uh, Klingon logos on the buildings. And then cover B is by Robert Atkins uh, with color by John Hunt. And it shows, I guess, maybe Wesley holding a uh, dying woman in his arms. And then above him, we see some birds of prey streaking by firing phasers or disruptors. And then the RI cover is the same cover as that one, but this time just the sketch. So just the, just the inks and no color. All right, so the story starts with Riker Jordy and Data standing on the moon looking up at the Earth. Uh, the humans are in EV suits while Data is simply standing there in normal clothes. They eventually make their way to the underground bunker and there they find an EMH hologram in the style of Dr. Zimmerman. Uh, they mention that uh, Data is not human and then the EMH says there's no cure for that, which which is the joke of the the issue's title. Meanwhile, in orbit, the cloaked Klingon ship is searching for the cloaked Excelsior ship that's also in orbit. Uh, 
So they're playing a little bit of cat and mouse, trying to find each other. Sulu and his crew are patiently waiting. Meanwhile, the Klingon crew, headed up by Alexander, is anxious and ready for battle. So eventually the Klingons get a little tired of waiting, and they open fire on the bunker on the moon. And then they also beam over a attack squad led by Alexander himself. But anyways, this uh, firing and beaming leaves them open uh, and exposed. So Sulu has the Excelsior take advantage of that and quickly destroys the ship. Meanwhile, in the bunker, Riker orders Geordi to destroy Data in order to prevent them from being captured and all of Data's information falling into the hands of the enemy. Geordi hesitates. And the Klingons soon surround them before he's able to blast the, the good old android. The Klingons discover that this is not even a real android. This is just a hologram. And they turn it off. Alexander then orders the everybody to beam up to the ship, not knowing that it's destroyed already. Uh, once he gives the order, I guess this gives the location to the Excelsior to lock in and beam over Jordy and Riker. Meanwhile on Earth, the Klingons start razzing the planet because Lord Worf is upset that his son has died. Wesley is having a nice evening with Robin Leffler, but uh, their evening is cut short when they're attacked by the Klingon birds of prey. Wesley's able to escape with fairly minor injuries, but Robin is not so lucky. Elsewhere, Data is plugged into a holodeck and shows Picard the events of Star Trek VI. But this time, they see that Braxton holds Kirk back from saving the president. They now know what moment in history needs to be fixed. Later, Picard has all the rebels get together and he outlines a plan when Wesley barges in holding Robin's lifeless body. He tells the group that perhaps Picard is not the leader that they need. He and Picard both leave the groups, going their separate ways, and then the rest of the group is left to ponder which direction to go. To be continued. Okay, so I guess they wanted to milk a few issues, out, more issues out of this one, huh? Yeah, not much happens in this one. I was, again, I was kind of alluding to it in the first one. It seems like they don't find out anything that they didn't already know, or at least that I well. thought Sulu didn't already know. But but you're right. Now that you mentioned that maybe Sulu didn't recognize Braxton like we did, that uh, that they did need this information. That Picard needed this information. I don't know. Right. What was your take? Well, my take is, uh, I mean, the big thing is they're discovering what the change in time was. They're recognizing... Um, that Braxton was there. And so they know that's the point in time. Obviously, that's a big revelation that had right. to be known. And, of course, we had to get data to the heroes so they could find that out. So that was really important. Um, and now they got a game plan, kind of, sort of. But the idea that um, all of a sudden, Wesley's going to be this, um, this competitor to the leadership because he wants uh, vengeance for Robin being uh, killed, is like, this is so forced. <laughs> I mean, this is so forced. Who, who the heck's going to follow Wesley? Give me a break. 
Now, I know this is not the same Wesley as we had in, in Next Gen. That was pretty much, shut up, Wesley. We know, we know, he's, you know he's a different person who goes through a lot of stuff. But it's like, come on. And, 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 and why, did, why did Picard even conjecture about, oh, we should be friends with the Klingons in the real timeline? It's like, why even say that? Why even bring that up? Right. Okay, yeah, maybe. Or they could be an, an enemy that didn't conquer you, didn't conquer Earth. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that could have been. Why do you jump to that, of course? And that's what gives Wesley's char- character the impetus to basically fracture the, uh, the forces. Right. Who's going to be followed? Uh, so, which, of course, gives you at least one more issue to resolve that, if not more. I, I think it's filler. It just strikes me as filler. Right. And it's weird that they both leave. So Wesley comes in with with Robin's body, makes his big declaration that Mm. Picard's not the leader we need. And Picard just leaves without saying a word. Right. And so does Wesley. So it just seems odd that they would leave instead of having a conversation in this issue. What? What? Did you know that Wesley left? I guess maybe he. I don't know that. Okay, so he definitely kinda, Picard leaves. Well, definitely Picard. I will agree with that. But it's like Wesley turns his back on Picard and is basically making his appeal to the other freedom fighters that, hey, you know, maybe he's not the right one. But I didn't see him leave. Yeah. All right. I'm so, reading into that. Yeah. Now, I can't see Picard just standing there and taking it and just leaving pouty pouty. I, I really don't see that. I see Picard saying, shut up, Wesley, and then uh, asserting how he's, he's right because he's got to be right. I mean, he's got to lead these people. And so the idea that he just, like, just left and let, let Wesley basically take over the, te- the, the, the rebels, it's like, wh- why would Picard do that? I'll tell you why, to get more issues out of it. Filler. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of TV shows and stuff that I think could be ended. <laughs> the or whole show more could be ended by just having, let's just have one conversation and suddenly we don't need the rest of the season. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, and, I and we'll, we'll see how, the, how issue three is. I mean, maybe this ends up, I mean, it's conflict, right? And right. all good stories have to have conflict, uh, some amount of conflict, or else it's boring. Exactly. Um, it's Little House on the Prairie then. But um, so we'll see how good a conflict this turns out to be in the next issue. It, it, it could be worth it. It just seems yeah. a bit forced. Right. And like I said, uh, when I read it the first time, um, I was still under the impression that Sulu, Sulu and Picard have had conversations in the past. Yeah. Uh, but now rereading it and, and talking, I, I don't. Now I don't know if Picard's ever talked to Sulu or not. Right. Or if Sulu's ever talked to anybody. Right. To give him that point of view. Right. I don't know. But regardless, they now know they need to go back in time and fix stuff. Right. Um, now, how, how are they going to do that if they don't have starships except for the Excelsior? I don't know. Well, they'll use the Excelsior. Slingshot. Well, I don't know. We'll find out. Right. But the fact that the Excelsior is there is kind of good timing. So. Sure. Yeah, I really like that the Excelsiors 
the only Federation ship left. I mean, it, it's kind of sad if you think about it, but... Yeah. Uh, it's kind of cool. And no also, Enterprise I, A kicking around. <laughs> I'm, uh, well... But that's the thing. We don't... You didn't read these, right? No, never. Okay, okay fine. Because... Nothing's to say that the Enterprise A isn't kicking around. Nothing's to say that Kirk isn't still alive, because they never said what happened to Kirk. That's true. Um, mind you, he'd be pretty old, but, you know, Sulu's there, so... But, but I mean, I, I think... Wasn't Shatner, or wasn't that character a little older than Sulu? Oh, Kirk. So. Not much, but still a little. Right. Anyway, whatever. The main point is, we don't know what happened to anybody. Um, so... Uhura could still be out there. Scotty should could still be out there. I mean, we really don't know. Um, but, I mean, because that, that could be kind of an interesting cameo at the last minute. But I don't know. Right. Well, if we'll we're going out. off of that first cover, we know that uh, Scotty's dead. Oh, the first cover shows Scotty dead? Well, that, uh, that X-Men poster. Oh! Right. It okay. Shows. Oh, he's comp- he's uh, apprehended, so I guess he's not dead. Okay. Chekhov is slain. The Pulaski slain. Was Kirk there? Uh, no, he's not on there at all. Spock uh-huh. slain. Okay. Interesting. So we don't know. We'll find out. We'll see what happens. That's um, awesome. That's just a cover. That doesn't necessarily mean what's, yeah. what's true. There are many things on the cover that have nothing to do with the real story. Sure. As we have been, we have seen. Uh, and so apparently Sulu had a duel with uh, with Lord Worf and took his eye. That's what it's saying. Now, I, I would not want to get in a fight with a Klingon who had a batleth and I had a foil, a fencing foil. I right. wouldn't want to do that. Because <laughs> a fencing foil is, yeah, it's, yeah. You're not going to be able to come into direct conflict with or contact with a... Uh, with a batleth too many right. times before that thing is like bent and cut in two. Right, right. But they had to have the fencing foil because you knew that had to be a mano mano Sulu versus Worf kind of thing. Exactly. That That's definitely Sulu's calling card. Right. So, Sulu is Zorro. Cool. <laughs> so, I got a question. When yes. did Data beam over to Picard? Oh, um, I thought from the moon. So from the moon. Yeah, uh, I know Riker where, and, when. Oh, uh, before, uh, before the Klingons busted in. Because they're busting in, and then that's when Data takes damage to his face and yeah. loses that chunk around his eye. Right. And then you turn the page and... Riker's telling him to shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. And then they're all captured. And then they're all captured. And then you find out that that date is a hologram. Or, well, that's... Okay, so they say he... Okay, so... Um, Alexander assumes that Data is a hologram because he doesn't have any uh, human... Uh, what's a, you know, There's no readings from him. Okay, so, so instead stupidly, of him turning off the... 
All right, so he's not turning off a hologram. He's actually engaging a transporter because it says, now that I read it, it says transporter coordinates. Exactly, in, in range. range. So I think they, okay. I assume that Jordy started the transportation cycle, but it, it couldn't lock in until that moment. And then that's when, uh, when data went, went away, right. transported to the coordinates, which is where uh, Picard and company Picard, were. Right. And then uh, Riker and Jordy are left with their little smiles. Yeah. They both saw that their mission was accomplished. Okay. And then Alexander just assumes that's how that it was a hologram. holograms disappear. Exactly. See, I told you a hologram, which he's is like never Alexander, seen a you're transporter dumb. before. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander, you are dumb. Yeah, he is dumb. <laughs> he deserves to die. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so I didn't mention it in the synopsis, but he does die because of his ineptness, but it's his People. It's his fellow Klingons that yep. kill him, not... Uh, exactly. He doesn't die in battle like no. Worf, Worf plays it up. Right. And I, it's like, that's some guts. Because Lord Worf is not going to be happy with you guys. Right. But, I mean, yeah. they lost their ship and stuff, so who knows. Um, they're like, oh, we're royally screwed here. Okay, might as well kill him. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and I thought that... Uh, Alexander did look like an old, older version of Alexander. Yes, I agree. Uh, and he doesn't look like the Alexander from Deep Space Nine. He just looked like Alexander the from the show. The kid, older. Yeah, right. I agree. I agree. Yeah, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I think they did a good, he did a good job. Now, why? Because Alexander is not that big. Now he's got. Worf is his father, and mm-hmm. uh, Allure, I forgot, what's her name? Kalar? Kalar, right. Um, she is pretty tall for a woman. You know, she's mm-hmm. a statuesque woman. And then they got little, <laughs> little Alexander. Um, I just, well, I just yeah. kind of And so I was why. wondering, is, is, is this Alexander's mother the same? Why not? Who knows? Well, they never say. But he looks like Alexander in the TV show, so right. No, he does probably, and they call him Alexander. But mm-hmm. instead of that being his given name, it's kind of what they call him behind his back. Okay, or, or or is that his real name? And the joke is about the Alexander the Great reference. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but he's the joke. He's the runt. He's the Lord, Lord Worf's runt. Yeah, he's the uh, the prince. Exactly. The little prince. The little prince that that wants to to prove himself so bad. Right. So how'd you like the doctor's uh, cameo? I liked it a lot. What I liked it, but it's like pointless. It sets up the joke for the title. Yes, but I'm not human. There's no cure for that. Yeah, but right. But um, bump. Okay, so how did how did the doctor get developed, and then he just turns out to be Zimmerman? I mean, well, right. you know, obviously he's a melange, or it looks like he's the same melange of different people. Now he doesn't have a. So is that a civilian uniform? Right. Yeah. Okay, which would make more sense, right? Right. Because 
Starfleet, I mean, there was a war in Kirk's time, movie timeline, and then the Klingons took him over. So Starfleet hasn't been around for a while. Yeah, so, so who designed it? Exactly. Who developed the, the Doctor? And why? That program. They put him on the moon. Yeah, no, I had the same question. Yeah. So... Right. So there's yeah, nobody I there. An except I thought it was a cool two panels. Yeah. But, you know, there, there's no Enterprise D that we know of. There's no Enterprise E, certainly. Uh, right. You know, that, that, that healthy Starfleet that developed all those cool things we had in Next Gen and Voyager and, um, and stuff, it didn't exist. That's so, true. I don't know. Kind of makes me wonder. Almost like as much as I'm wondering why Robin Leffler's hair is blonde now. Yeah, most. maybe she was dyeing it in the TV yeah. show, and uh, here, this is just her natural color. Right. So Ashley Judd played Robin Leffler, and she was definitely a brunette. And I just thought, are, did, they, did they choose to make her a blonde just to say, hey, this isn't 100% the same? <laughs> you know, the two dimensions? Right. Even though an awful lot of stuff looks the same. This is not 100% the same, and we're going to tell you because we're going to make Robin a, a blonde. Yeah, and I don't think she looked like the actress. Ashley Maybe Judd. in profile she does, but when, it was, um, when it's the straight-on face, it didn't look like It that. looks like a totally different person. I mean, still a, a cute young lady. Sure. But um, I don't think she looked like Ashley Judd at all. And, and did Ashley, does Ashley Judd, Judd have uh, blue eyes or brown eyes? I really don't know. I don't recall. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen her anything in a while. But I did go out and grab a photo of Leffler. And uh, it's kind of hard to tell because it's not the best resolution in the world. But her eyes look dark, not blue. But I, I don't remember because she's been a lot, in a lot of movies and stuff too. Anyway, whatever. Mm. It just seemed like a, a miss because it's kind of odd because... Uh, Gordon Purcell is usually pretty precise about his drawings. And you said you've met him before? Yes, at a Star Trek convention. Back in the day or recently? or um, Like about five years ago in, oh, uh, right. in a Phoenix. You, you remember, I, I think I told you this before, but I, um, yeah, I ended up buying um, a pencil drawing from him for uh, Stargate. Oh, okay. Okay. So a, pay, a pencil drawing of a page of a Star Trek comic uh, I bought from him. And, you know, he was there, you know, sign, you know, signing the stuff, you know, making some money and talking to fans. And no one else was around him. So I just went up and said, hey, really love your work. Um, and uh, we, we, I didn't, we didn't talk that much, but right. a little bit because he had nothing else to do. So we were just chit-chatting a little bit. That's awesome. I didn't tell you that before. It kind of sounds familiar, but okay, okay. also doesn't, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I really haven't met many artists and creatives in the, in the biz. Right. But um, definitely Gordon is one person I did meet. That's awesome. very cool. Yeah. Nice guy, you know, just a normal looking guy, you know, as you'd expect. Sure. Um, who's uh, a really good artist. Yeah, no, I really like his stuff. So why did Data put a visor on instead of just plugging into the side of his head? Because it looks cool. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, they've they, they've established that you can plug into his head uh, with a USB cable. So it's like, why go through the trouble of trying to reverse engineer goggles? <laughs> because they want to really, in, really uh, drive home that this is a, a VR experience. Mm-hmm. I guess so. <laughs> But it doesn't really make sense because he's still wearing the goggles, but Picard isn't. Exactly. But Picard still sees everything Data can see. So he's he's instead of light coming into his eyes, which that if it's a, if his if his um, if his engineered eyes are an analog of human eyes, then it's a receptive thing, not a projecting thing. Right. But apparently, Data, what a guy! He can also mm. project out of his eyes. Handy. I think that I think Picard just didn't want to see that nasty-looking uh, eyeball being ripped out. That he was just like, eh, "Put these guys, put these goggles." On. Oh, I don't want to have to keep looking at that from face the, from the Borg one. Yeah, yeah, he is. You know, he's he's missing that little chunk around his eye of skin. So I think that's why Picard gave him the goggles because oh. he just didn't want to look at it anymore. Okay, okay. There you go. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It didn't no. even look that cool either. Tell you the truth. Just, no, it looked kind of dorky, quite yeah. frankly. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like it's a cyclops kind of thing, but with these two big, what, uh, positive and negative wires <laughs> coming off of the, the goggles on both but sides. But once the projection starts, those wires disappear. Uh, yeah. So, so I, don't, I don't know. No, just plug in the side of his head. Just move the hair out of the way. Right. <laughs> that would make more sense. Anyways. Yeah. So, yeah, it was sad that Leffler died. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've enjoyed that character in other expanded media, so oh, having her die was kind of sad. Well, there you go. So, do you like how Data is um, like season one Data that you know is almost child childlikely simple and gets all these things wrong and can't whistle and all that <laughs> kind of stuff? Yeah, that's cute. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense that he would be not the data we knew in um, Nemesis that had all this time to develop and a, an emotion chip, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but he's really back to square one here. Matter of fact, he acts really, really dumb. Like when he's he trying to talk on the moon? Exactly. Come on, data, can you really be that dumb? Come on. <laughs> you do know what the vacuum of space is, right? I thought that was a little too dumb. Yeah. Uh, but it was cool be, seeing him standing me. on the moon without a suit. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And then doing the $6 million man jump. Uh, they are on the moon. It's not From the impressive. ridge. Well, I know it's, it's not the same thing, but I, still, <laughs> it, was, it just reminded me of a $6 million man thing that they said they'd never do in the TV series with him. Right. Although you could have. Yeah. All right. Well, then we'll be back next week with the, uh, the conclusion of The Last Generation. Yes, the last three issues. Wunderbar. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us 
via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.